Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by West Elm's Design to Impact initiative. You'll hear more about it later in the episode, including how shipping crafts in developing countries has injected a few surprising twists to their design process. You can learn more about the program at westelm.com YHL, and be sure to save 15% off your next West Elm purchase with the code YHL15. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. It's an exciting week, you guys, because we finally landed on a color for our beach house, and you might think our inspiration for it is a little bit nuts. Plus, we talked to blogger and Domino contributor Jenny Comenda about the struggles of running a design business. Hey, Sherry. Hello, John. I think people are probably craving an update on the paint color for the beach house. I thought you were going to say something ridiculous, like an update on my stretchy pants. No. (laughs) No, stretchy pants are still good. I'm not wearing them now. They're in the wash. And so John is complaining ad nauseum about regular jeans now because he's only capable of wearing stretchy jeans. I think these shrunk and I uh, feel kind of poured into them. (laughs) You're like a regular Jessica Rabbit over there. (laughs) (laughs) There's a mental picture for everyone. No, so back in episode 28 before the holiday, we shared how we were having trouble deciding what color to paint the exterior of our beach house. And surprise, we continued to agonize over it for weeks. Yes, there was not a conclusion in that episode, but we did outline (laughs) all the various factors that were weighing on us. So you can go back and listen to that one if you want to hear the detailed intro of it. But we also, shortly after, posted some kind of sample colors on Instagram and Facebook and asked for people to weigh in. And it's like a slideshow. And I realized pretty quickly that the detriment to that is that in that vacuum, the brighter ones are the most fun, right? Because like yeah. your eye isn't like, ooh, gray looks nice. Right, exactly. They're- so you're like yellow, pink, you know, like the brighter ones steal the attention. Well, the good news is, you know, we got, I think, between Facebook and Instagram, over 1,500 comments of people weighing in, and everyone agreed. Exactly. <laughs> for the first time in the history of the internet, everyone chose. Nope. Nobody agreed on anything. And for every comment that was like, oh, yes, the pink is the best, there'd be someone who's like, please, anything but the pink. So, right. And there were, I think, the most votes, I, again, I'm not statistically analyzing this we data. We did not but- chart this. Yes, but I think that the most votes were for yellow or pink. Yeah. But also the most cons against a color seemed to be people who just didn't like the pink or people saying specific things about the yellow who had yellow houses. A bunch of people said, I have a yellow house and it shows a ton of dirt. And a lot of people said, I have a yellow house and it fades incredibly quickly. And so that was awesome information to gain. So I think it's... It's not as simple as looking at the slideshow and picking the color that looks the best. Yeah, it's not as simple as tallying the votes. Like, I kind of knew going into it what you just said. Like, I think the brighter colors are going to look the best because, yeah, they look the best or the most interesting in a photo. And for most of the people weighing in, they're only going to experience that house via photos we share. Right. So that's what I would pick, too. But, you know, having to actually live in it and see it next to the other houses in the context of the neighborhood, like, there's a bit more that we have to weigh. And I should add that the other thing that was going on behind all this when we were talking about it was we were having conversations with our contractor and we already knew that we were going to have to replace about like half of the siding of the house because of the damage and the rot that was there. You can see it in some of the before pictures. So we were going to put um, hardy plank cement board on there because it's the most durable stuff. Great for a beach house, low maintenance, anything we can do one time, even if it's more expensive to not have to keep redoing it over and over again, which ends up being more expensive in the end. We are really into it because this is not a flip for us. We want to have it for a long time. And then it turned into, we don't just need to redo half of it. 
Yeah, I mean, he was sort of like, you know, if you're going to do half of it, like, you should at least consider doing all of it so that it all matches and it all wears the same. And, and as we started demoing, we were noticing a lot of interior wood that was a lot wetter than we thought. So the siding that we thought was doing its job in certain areas was really hiding some damage behind it. And it made a lot more sense to just, if you're residing half of it and the other half is half failing, then you might as well reside everything. So the way that impacted the color is that hardy plank comes in just a primed, unpainted that you can do whatever you want with. But they also have some like pre primed factory finished colors that you can choose from. Right. They call it like color lock or color plus. Color, and color plus, I think. Right. It'll go up, it'll be done, and it'll last for a really long time. It will hopefully help with things like fading. It will not be bubbling like paint wood on wood because cement board is a, a material that doesn't hold moisture as much and, you know, it's much more durable. But it means committing to a color for like 30 years, yeah, right? Yeah. And so while everyone is like, pink, yellow, we're like looking at this board of colors that, I mean, are nice. They've got a nice range. They've got a lot of good blues and dark colors, I think. They have great neutrals, I think. If you were doing a house not at the beach, you'd have like every possibility you'd ever want. Right. So we ordered some samples because they send you free samples and we got like a couple grays and a white and we did get their yellow that they have and their green. Yeah, they have one yellow and one lightish green. They have one really dark evergreen and then they have this other green and those are the only two greens. Yeah. (laughs) So we drove to some new construction neighborhoods here in Richmond and kind of just like trolled around with our swatches and tried to identify ones we thought were the colors of of these pre-finished hardy plank boards. And so I was like the hamburger guys. I was like jumping out of the car. <laughs> I was sneaking up to the side of a house. And then if somebody caught me instead of like stealing hamburgers, I was holding up a siding sample on their siding. So it was a helpful process. We saw a lot of uh, the gray colors and neutral colors that looked very pretty. We thought would look nice. And you've always had an affinity for kind of the gray or neutral. Right. So the funny thing is that when I read cottage living or country living or coastal living or all these magazines I've been reading. Hamburglar Weekly. Right, exactly. All these sort of beachy homes that I love, even in things like Domino, and I've ripped them out over the years. I have 10 years of tear sheets from magazines of beautiful beach houses. Nearly every single one I love is either white, a very, very light, like blue, green, or a very, very light gray or tan. I mean, literally, picture these cottages. They have like a colorful bike in the front. They have colorful porch furniture, even a blue underside of the porch or a color on the eave of the house. But almost always, the house is this very neutral color, but with the greenery around it and all the pops of color and the accessories, it doesn't look bland. You're not like, what a boring beach house. You're like, that's the most charming thing I've ever seen. I'm going to rip it out and save it for 10 years. Well, but you and I were looking at some of these, and the point that I made is a lot of the pictures you've torn out have a lot of greenery around them. Right. But we're not going to have that as much because we're in a more dense kind of almost urban-ish street. Right. There are city blocks in this beach community. And so we have a lot of, you know, like two homes pretty close to ours and not room for big trees between them or, you know, like moss-draped oaks in the background. So I'm taking you on kind of the winding road that we took. We were like, colorful is fun. No, wait. All the ones we actually like and tear out are neutral. And then we swing back to like, but we don't have all this greenery and we're in this more populated area and they have a bunch of bright houses. So this is the only chance. I mean, like when do you have a chance to make a bright, colorful, fun beach house other than in this neighborhood? So you know what solved it for us? A paper coffee cup. Yep. (laughs) On Christmas Eve. One of our relatives came into the Christmas Eve function holding a coffee cup from this downtown hotel called Quirk. And the cup is this really pretty peach color. I wouldn't call it pink. I mean, it's in the I pink it's family. it's a pinky coral peach. Which is funny because in a lot of people's answers, there were people shouting out, coral, coral. It reminds me of a Walking Dead impression of coral, coral. <laughs> and you'll be like, Rick, Rick. 
Uh, Sorry if you don't watch Walking Dead, that will make no sense. Guys, I'm full of impressions. It's really what I bring to this podcast. But anyway, I'm staring at the cup and I just say, can I hold that cup for a second and go tell John something? And I walk up to John and I say, beach house color? Question mark. (laughs) And I say, because I'm pretty sold. It's a darker color, so it's not super light, which uh, we haven't discussed all the pros and cons to all the colors that people weighing in on it shared with us. But it did seem like a lot of people said light gray, light white, light blue, yellow. These all show a lot of dirt. Yeah, any light color would. Right. They're more maintenance. You have to like power wash them or clean them off more. And then we heard a lot of people saying the super dark colors fade and the super bright colors fade. It was really helpful to read the pros and cons of everything. And although it left us more unsure, it was almost like when we saw that paper coffee cup, it met a lot of the criteria. It wasn't super light, but it's not super dark. It's sort of a medium coral with a little bit of a muddy undertone. So it's not like bright neon coral, but it certainly is a point of view. It certainly would be a fun, cheerful house in this neighborhood. And when we presented the idea back to our contractor about not using the pre-finished color, he said cost-wise, it's kind of a wash because you're paying extra for the pre-finished. So the cost to paint it is about the same. Right. And he said they're both warranted for 30 years. So like as long as you do good preparation and use good paint, both of which we plan to do, it shouldn't mean that we need to repaint this anytime soon. Because again, it's really the cement board that helps you not have to repaint. It doesn't absorb moisture like wood does. So we're really hopeful that this holds up as well as, you know, the pre-finished yellow or green would have. So yeah, I would call it a decision. Yeah, we are we are sold. That's the color, guys. <laughs> I don't know if my my tone of voice sounded super committed. We have the paint testers and we're ready. Yeah, that's our last step is we've got to actually take this coffee cup and we've matched it to some actual paint colors. And we're going to take them next time we go and put them up on the side and to see if it translates well. So yes, I think at this point, it's just about making the cup become the color of the house. So we are committed to the cup. We just have to find the paint swatches that look like the cup. Thank you, coffee cup. Whoever thought that that would be the inspiration object for a beach house? Well, and you know, speaking of brightly colored houses, we are actually headed to Palm Springs, California. Oh, very nice. Yeah, how'd you like that segue? I liked it. Uh, We've been invited to speak at the Alt Summit conference that is happening at the beginning of February. So we will be speaking on Thursday, February 2nd. I believe the tickets are sold out, so this isn't necessarily a call to buy tickets. But if you already have them and you're going, we are looking forward to seeing you. It's our first time going. First time going to Palm Springs. Yeah, well, we've never been to Palm Springs. We've never been to Alt Summit. I feel like I need to up my fashion game. Because all those girls wear like fancy things, like fascinators. Oh my gosh. I know. John, what are you going to wear? Your stretchy jeans? I'll just break out my fascinators. But we're hoping it's lots of fun. And I feel like it's going to be a new group of bloggers. Lots of people we haven't met. All the West Coast bloggers we don't get to see. Exactly. We're going to represent the East Coast. And we're going to find people to interview for the podcast. Right, exactly. (laughs) This is really just a recruiting trip. (laughs) And I want to be in warm weather in February, like really bad. Well, we actually are going to talk to a West Coast blogger in a couple minutes, but first I want to quiz you. So here's the part of the show where I quiz Sherry. I give her a category of things. Some are real, but one is fake, and she has to tell me what's real and what's not. So I found this article on Mental Floss Uh that was about Nickelodeon, the kids' television network. And back in 1992, so 25 years ago, they buried a time capsule. (gasps) Why was 1992 25 years ago? That's freaking me out. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're taking from this? Yes. They're not going to unearth this time capsule for another 25 years, so not till 2042. Okay. But Mental Floss put a list of the things that were put in it. It was voted by kids what should go in this time capsule. And I'm going to list you six things. Only five of them were actually in there. You have to guess the thing that was not in there. Okay. Home loan on VHS. For sure. Rollerblades. 
For sure. A jar of Gak. Um, was Gak? Remember Floam too? Gak and Floam. Were those out then? I feel like that might be 96 or something. Okay, keep going. That's my maybe. A box of Girl Scout cookies? Um, that's kind of weird. Reebok pump sneakers? Definitely. And a piece of the Berlin Wall. Um, that seems really random. Why would Nickelodeon have that? I mean, I don't feel like you'd make that up because it's too random. So it's between Gak and what was the other one? The Girl Scout cookies? Yes, Girl Scout cookies. I'm going to say Girl Scout cookies you made up. You are correct. Yes! But your logic does not necessarily translate because they did bury a box of Twinkies. Oh, wait, you see, Twinkies are kind of like that nostalgic, funny thing. Also included were an MC Hammer CD. Okay. A Joey Lawrence brand Woe hat. Really? Yeah, he was one of the presenters. Oh, of the time castle? Yeah, him and Michael Malley. I think my favorite part is that they had a little girl film the whole thing, like on an old school videotape thing. And I guess Michael Malley and Joey Lawrence couldn't figure out how to get the tape out because they were supposed to put the tape in the time capsule. <laughs> so they just threw in the whole camera. <laughs> nice. Little do they know there's not going to be an adapter on Earth that's going to work with <laughs> exactly. that when it comes out. I wonder what house-related things you'd put in a time capsule. Like a tape measure and a laser level, Those right? Those are all timeless, Jerry. You'd are have they? to do like moment in time things. Stud finders. Because you know in the future there's going to be a much easier way to find a stud and use a laser level than what we have now. Everything is going to be outdated. They'd be like, what is this hammer thing that you Right, like an anchor so that you can keep things on the wall? Now we use robots. <laughs> <laughs> Just blanket robots. Picture hanging robots. <laughs> Well, I'll put a link up to this article on younghouselove.com slash podcast in the show notes so you can check out everything. I also found a video of the ceremony if you wanted to see that too. Really have a blast from the past. But now we've got a phone call to make. Yes, we're calling Jenny Commenda from Little Green Notebook. She is one of my favorite bloggers slash designers slash magazine contributors. She contributes to Domino Magazine. She even has spaces in Domino's new book. So it's really fun to talk to her not only about blogging, but about running a business because she does it all. Hello. Hi, Jenny. Hi, how are you guys? Good, it's Sherry and John. Hello. I can't believe we've never met. Someday we will, and it'll feel like we've known each other forever. (laughs) (laughs) I already feel like we do. (laughs) I know, me too. Well, it's always fascinating to talk to bloggers who are like legit designers also. So we thought it would be cool to pick your brain a little bit about juggling those two things. I mean, what percentage would you say of your life or your Your work work? is spent with clients and sort of on the design side of things? You know what, honestly, that is like question of the moment. And I feel like it changes day to day. Like it's very, very tricky. I think you might think and I think I thought for a really long time that if you've sort of like imagined the Venn diagram of like being a designer and being a blogger, you'd think that the like overlap shaded portion would be like, kind of big, right? Maybe even like the same circle. Right. It's actually like you just have two full-time jobs is kind of really what it ends up being. I think that every week it's sort of this like adventure to figure out, is it going to be like a client heavy week or is it going to be, you know, do I really need to like meet some blog deadlines and really sort of like pump out some posts? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of started your blog and your design business at the same time. Is that right? Yep. Well, maybe about a year after I started my blog, I kind of like hung up my shingle. And I think the business has sort of evolved a lot. Like back in the day when I was doing mostly DIY, the the projects were much more 
decorating heavy, you know, hire me to sort of like redo your bedroom and I'll like DIY the crap out of it, you know? Right. And that that was so fun. And I feel like that really fit what was happening on my blog at the time. And actually just sort of like what was happening in the world at the time, right? Like we were all just kind of DIY crazy. And that was really, really fun, but pretty work intensive. But now it's definitely much more on like the design side where we're doing new builds and we're, you know, taking these huge renovation projects on and we're doing a lot of commercial work right now, which is like a whole new beast that I'm actually really excited about. It's kind of, we're doing a restaurant and um, an orthodontist office and it's crazy. It's, it's fun. Wow. Those must be two different animals. And I have to say, it's actually so fun because there's zero emotion <laughs> involved when it's a commercial project. Like these people are just like, yeah, do whatever. Who cares? It's not like, hey, can you figure out a way to like incorporate my grandmother's quilt? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. The orthodontist is like, can you make a pedestal sink out of teeth? <laughs> <laughs> because that's not creepy. <laughs> I want to go to that orthodontist. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? No. Run away from that job. Yeah. <laughs> What is your situation with your firm like? I mean, how many people work for you? And do you guys have like a nine to five or do you meet at an office? What's that like? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, you're catching me like right in the middle of all these like huge life decisions. I mean, just to sort of like connect our two lives, I think about the same time that you guys took a a little bit of a like a step back from the blog. I think, well, probably the whole year before that, I feel like there was this this whole vibe happening in the sort of the blogging community where everyone was kind of feeling like, you know, things had changed a little bit and it was time to sort of mix things up. And, you know, at these blogging conferences, the sort of the word on the street was like the end of blogs is coming, you know, right? (laughs) like Pinterest, you know what I mean? Like Pinterest was getting to sort of take things over and Instagram, you know, they're like micro blogs. So where does professional blogging sort of like fit in this whole mix? And, you know, as my design business was kind of becoming a bigger part of my day, I was, you know, really trying to just forecast the future and figure out like, how can I make this work? So um, about two years ago, at the same time that I was having my fourth baby, so great timing, I sort of decided to like, okay, well, let's reevaluate things. Let's take a step back from the block a little bit and hire a bunch of designers to sort of come in and take on these big projects that we were starting. And um, it was a really cool experiment. We worked together for the, the past couple of years and we're wrapping up some of these bigger jobs now. And um, it's gone so well in many ways. And in others, like I wish I could like sort of have like a do over button. It's just really, really tricky to sort of balance the blog and social media life, the design business, managing people, which is a whole nother interesting challenge. And then also like having balance in my personal life, which I have a lot of kids and it's just, it's just a lot. It can be a lot. So it's been cool to like try this out. And I read this really cool book called The Big Enough Company. Have you guys ever heard of that? No, but it sounds like my theory that at some point you just don't want to be that big, right? Totally. Yes. Like I sort of, you know, we had, I had like six people coming into, um, we have like a studio above our garage and we were just working all hours of the night and just all the time. And it just sort of, you know, some of them left because they were having their own kids. And we were just sort of like a couple months ago at this kind of like stopping point where a lot of the big jobs had wrapped up and we were getting ready to start some new ones. And then I just happened to, well, actually, it was my husband, Michael. He stumbled on this book and was like, you should read this. This is super interesting, mostly from the perspective of women, which, of course, is like perfect for me and what was going on with my family life. But there's just so many people that are like killing it right now. Like these really great bloggers and designers that are just going gangbusters and opening up multiple stores and they're doing great. And I'm so, so happy for them. But I think I had this moment where I was like, you know, that's not my life. Maybe I'm running the wrong race right now in this moment. And I sort of took a step back and, you know, had a moment to reevaluate. 
like a, what I want my, my life, my actual life to look like, like not just what I want my career to look like from an outsider's perspective, but what I wanted my daily tasks to be. I read this quote and it said, the way you spend your days is the way you spend your life. And I don't know why that was like, it's so obvious, but it totally clicked with me because it's like, you can't picture your life going one direction, but the way you spend your days is completely the opposite of that goal, you know? Isn't that crazy? I seriously feel like I woke up two years later and was like, how is this my life? Like, it's so great. And I feel like I wanted to make it work so, so, so much. But I don't know, it just didn't feel like authentic anymore. And I realized that truly, I was like, kind of dreading the tasks of my day. So I don't know. I mean, we're kind of in that in between spot right now. We're still working with a few of those women. And I'm still, you know, working on all these jobs. And I think I'll probably do some version of client work, like for forever. But I've turned back a little bit more toward blogging again recently. And um, I'm working on maybe getting a book deal right now. I still work for Domino. Like I've got a lot of like irons in the fire still. But I don't know, I, I feel like I'm in the right space. Like I love interior design. I love homes. I love, you know, helping people figure out what their style is and what how they want their homes to look and feel. Well, what you just said is something that at least I came out of our experience sort of being grateful for is that the fact that like we've found the flexibility in this industry to sort of pivot and find the things that still make us happy and we're still excited to wake up and do. And I guess I'm getting more and more comfortable pausing and say, is this what I want to keep doing? <laughs> you know, am I doing the right thing right now? Oh my gosh, I, I cannot tell you how much I admire what you guys have done, like the path that you are blazing is like, it's really admirable that you guys were willing to sort of, you know, walk away from just some opportunities that you had and be able to say, no, no, that's not right for us right now. You know, we can figure this out later. But like, let's, you know, press the pause button. That's so sweet. Because I'm like, I feel like everyone looked at us and they were like, are they the dumbest business people that ever lived? <laughs> I, know, I know, you use the term blazing. Sometimes it felt like falling down a hole. Like, yeah, like setting it all on fire, blazing. <laughs> you know what? It's super hard to have an audience while you're making big life choices, right? I mean, there's always people that would do things differently. Well, as I was talking to you, I think maybe the reason you pivot between the outside design work and blogging and probably why we right now find comfort in the fact that the blog isn't our whole job. We have jobs outside of it and advertising, which is something we did and loved before blogging. There might be some comfort in like the whole pie not being any one thing. You know, when you're inspired to share on a blog, it's awesome to have one. But when you have nothing to say or you feel like you're writing the most boring post ever, it's nice to not to have to push publish, you know? Right. It's a much more authentic version. Version, I think of myself like I, I feel like I'm like a year from getting there really like I need to keep experimenting but I feel like you guys are like killing it right now so congratulations I mean this podcast is amazing thank you Jenny this is so nice well, let's end the like interview on a high note yeah. like that <laughs> <laughs> no we have like a bunch of design questions for you oh uh, well bring them I'm ready <laughs> I feel like you're so great at layering so many things there's color and there's pattern and there's texture but it's not too much but it's not flat it's just that perfect note and and I wonder for anyone out there who looks at their rooms and either feels like they're super flat and they don't know how to layer anything, or maybe they're too chaotic because they feel like they have too many patterns going on. Do you have any advice for someone struggling to find that balance? Oh, totally. I think if, the, if you're in your room already, you've already tried to decorate it and it's just not working. My number one advice is to literally pull every single thing out of there. I call it the make it work problem. Sometimes I feel like there can honestly be something in there 
that is just throwing the whole room off and you feel like I spent, you know, $500 on that chair. I have to make that chair work. But as soon as you pull it out of the room and then one by one add those pieces back in, you can, I feel like see more clearly, like what is sort of being the, you know, the tricky sticking point in the room. Um, I think some problems sort of make themselves known and then what you're missing also brings itself out there. And for someone who's on that maybe end of the spectrum where they're feeling like the rooms are too flat, is there an area where you generally think people could probably stand to be a little bit more bold or brave or ambitious? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, everyone's a little bit different on their like color tolerance. And I'm probably on like the more extreme side of it. But although I will say that I really think it's important to have like a heavy dose of neutrals. I almost always paint my walls like a neutral color. I love white and gray and black. And I think that those should really be the backdrop of a great room and that the colors work better when there's a place for the eye to sort of rest. So I think that with any purchase, I always think that it's a super great idea to not buy anything that you are just like, you have to be so in love with it. Like if your heart's not pounding and your just eyes are like dashing to either side to make sure nobody else is like going to steal it from you. Those are the only things you should be bringing into your home. And if, if you really like stay true to yourself with that rule so that every single thing you're bringing in your house just really fits you it's your story, then it's all going to work together. I love that advice because I've had like way too many yard sales. I think I'm like a fan of you can never find a rug this cheap or oh, they're having a 40% off sale. And but you're telling yourself in your mind, like it's a good staple or it's a good background piece. I don't want anyone to interpret that we're saying every piece has to be amazing and compete with each other. It's more that a piece can be amazing and neutral. And if you find a neutral rug, you think is fine because you just need a neutral rug and you buy it, it won't be as amazing as if you hold out and find a neutral rug that you love because that can exist too. Yes, I totally, totally agree. Like sometimes you get like goggles when it's something's for sale. I think that it just really messes with your mind. You trick yourself into believing that this is something you totally need because it's such a great price and you'll never find it for that price again. I've made that mistake so, so, so many times. And I feel like in recent years, I finally have learned my mistake enough that I like am able to walk away from even a really great deal. Like there was this rug that was like a Loloe rug. And I think it retails for like 3000 bucks or something. And it was only a couple hundred dollars. I think it was only like 450 or something. And, you know, I'm buying stuff for clients all the time, but I didn't have really, I didn't have a place for it. And like $450 is still $450. And I feel like old Jenny would have snatched that up in a second. But that said, I think it's important to like give yourself some like wiggle room. Everyone does it. Everyone makes bad purchases. And like, thank goodness we have things like Craigslist and eBay and all these things that like make it easy to sort of offload those mistakes. It's okay. Try again. Like you'll find another rug. It's not that big of a deal. I hear a lot of designers say that they like designing for themselves more than others because they know what like the heart wants what it wants and they just they're their easiest client. And then I hear a lot of other designers say, oh, no, I'm the hardest for myself. I spin my wheels and I can't make decisions. And if it's for someone else, I am totally decisive. What are you? I'm probably more the latter, but I honestly, I don't ever take my stuff too seriously at our house. Like our rooms change all the time. Like, oh man, it's so embarrassing. Like some of our rooms, I feel like I am like redecorating like every month. And then there are literally like my kids' rooms. <laughs> we, have, we have three children's bedrooms and one of my daughters, her room is like cute and done. And the other two are like, 
in bad, bad shape. Like all these like leftover rugs and pieces of furniture. It's really, really, really sad. So I think like it's, it can be kind of like the cobbler's children's shoes situation. I think a little bit with some designers where you just never quite get around to like getting your own projects done. And I will say that is the nice thing about having a blog is that like you get stuff done around your house when you're having to write about every single room. Like I literally said to my husband, I really need to get blogging again so that I will actually get on our kitchen redesign. (laughs) Oh, that's exciting. I can't wait to see what you do with your kitchen. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we figure the new year is a good time to talk about design trends and forecasts and wondered if you had any new trends that you're predicting will like sort of go the distance in 2017 you know things you love that you hope will pick up speed or you already see kind of growing in popularity you know something that I have really been noticing lately um and the stuff that's coming out in stores and just like what I'm drawn to it's it's really more about texture right now than I think anything else even like pattern or color like I think people are trying to layer in texture as sort of like the primary element and I love that I feel like it brings like such a nice unexpected coziness to a room like the texture of a rug or a throw or your pillows or you know obviously like baskets and woven things are super hot right now and I think they just bring this nice warmth to a room and is there anything you think that we might move away from in 2017? Um, I kind of feel like people are like a little bit over all white everything, which is kind of fun for me because like I love that like all white look where it's just very like ethereal and like Scandinavian. I think that's super, super pretty. But I've noticed that people are like starting to bring back color a little bit. And like I'm pretty thrilled about it. Well, I think that's all we have for you. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Jenny. It was so fun to talk to you guys. Thanks so much. Bye. So as usual, we'll put links to all of Jenny's stuff on this episode's show notes page at younghouselove.com slash podcast. Uh, We'll put a link to Little Green Notebook, her blog, as well as some of her projects for Domino. And now it's time for We're Digging, which are especially weird this week, so I'm excited about it. But first, we have to take a quick break. As you guys heard, this episode is brought to you by West Elm and their Design to Impact initiative. It's their way of stocking their stores and their catalogs with more items that feature organic cotton, sustainably sourced wood, or meet fair trade standards. Yeah, and it also includes working with lots of artisans from around the globe. As we learned from West Elm's Jennifer Gutman, finding these artisans is one thing, but getting their creations back to West Elm is another. So our packaging teams want to ensure the integrity of products and that they don't get damaged in the process of arriving to customers. But it's often incredibly hard to find the proper materials to package the products correctly in the countries where a lot of our handcrafted products come from. So one example is we have these amazing sculptures from Haiti. They're metal sculptures with concrete bases and the concrete is repurposed concrete rubble from the Haiti earthquake. And when the vendor sent them, they sent it in the mail, it banged around in the box and the metal sculpture got bent. And when the design team saw it, they loved the way it looked bent. So it was this packaging snafu that ended up becoming new product. That's awesome. West Elm has committed to keeping 20% of their assortment handmade, including products from over 35 artisan groups worldwide. So to learn more and see some of the products that are created by hand and sometimes by chance, visit westelm.com YHL. And hey, before you check out, be sure to enter code YHL15 to get 15% off any West Elm order between now and January 31st. That code again is YHL15. So now that that music has stopped, let's play some more music. Okay, so my word digging this week is really random, but hear me out. I feel like it has an underlying triumph. Go for it. (laughs) I'm waiting. I'm digging a certain type of nail polish because I am teaching a man to fish. 
And by that I mean... With nail polish. With nail polish. You can pay a lot of money to get your nails painted, your toes and your fingers. And for a long time, I've painted my own toes at home. I have never been great at painting my own nails. So this year, my not very home-related but life-related resolution is that I am going to teach myself to paint my nails. And it's only been a little bit of this year, but I'm already getting good at it. You can edge a room like the best of them, but edging your cuticle bed. Exactly. Like, why do I know how to paint and cut in on a house so well, but I can't paint my nails? So I I know some people are zoning out because this isn't their thing. And Don't worry. I'm there with you. (laughs) Well, a year ago, I would be zoning out too because I'd just be like, this is not a lifestyle that works for nail painting. Like I always said, I just cut my nails really short and I paint my toenails and that's like what my life is right now. But I realized that the thing I'm digging is a specific type of nail polish that makes it a lot easier. And it is called Butter London. I know it's weird. Just paint your nails hey, with butter. I'm back on board with butter. <laughs> right? More of this. There's two things it checks off for me. One is that it's free of a lot of the weird chemicals that many nail polishes have. But I think what used to happen is you sacrificed like long wearing durability and shine and all these things that sound like a nail polish commercial for the econess. Butter London doesn't do that. But here's the con. It's expensive. It's $18 a bottle. I I have no frame of reference for this. What is it usually? (laughs) I mean, like maybe $6 at Target, you could get OPI or $7 at Target, which is nice, but I can't do my nails well with any other nail polish. And for $18, I bought this one color because it was an unusual color. It's called Tata. Ooh, okay. <laughs> it's called Tata. Like tata. It's called Tata's. I know, that does sound bad. No, it's called Tata, like later gator Tata. Oh, oh your inflection was really taking I know, well, it was like Tata. Tata, not Tata. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this taupe color. It's like unusual for a nail polish. So I bought it because it was an unusual color. And the happy side effect is that the way that the brush is made, it's almost like a flattened rectangle instead of the circle. So like the bristles of nail polish are not flattened like a cutting in brush. They're a circle in oh, diameter. Like a Q-tip? Yes, like a Q-tip. Exactly. That's what nail polish brushes look like. This one looks like a cutting in brush. It's not angled, but it's flattened. And so it makes it easier for me. And it's super long wearing. So two things. I'm busy and I'm always doing crazy things with my nails and I'm always painting. So the fact that this is long wearing that I can literally chip paint right off the top of it and it's easier to apply. I just feel like all the wins. I know I'm like rambling about nail polish, but the point is this whole segment is all about things we love and I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes to my favorite colors that I've actually put on my nails. They're all solid colors and they're all extra shine. <laughs> Sherry's not going to read any more of them on the microphone for fear that she'll get in the ta-ta mess again. Seriously, one's rather red. I really like that one. Well, if you're just tuning back in... <laughs> Welcome back. It's it's time for you to tune out because here comes my word digging, which is equally weird. <laughs> so you know that thing where you're laying in bed and your dog's face is right on your face and their dog tag is right in your nose? <laughs> you know, that thing. That was me the other day. And I was thinking how much I was glad we bought this wooden carved dog tag for burger a long time ago. It's in the shape of a hamburger. I think technically a cheeseburger. <laughs> and it was something that someone tipped us off to a long time ago. I looked it up. We ordered it from Etsy three years ago. So we've had it for almost three years. And it is, dare I say, cute. It is so cute. And it's like three years old and looks new. Yeah. Which is weird because why is wood that durable on a dog's neck? Like you'd think metal would be the durable choice. Well, you know, he just does a lot of sleeping. Right, he does. It really doesn't get that much wear. Uh, But it's from a shop on Etsy called Cropscotch. And they have a bunch of engraved wooden items, mostly dog tags or they have some Christmas ornaments and a couple of wall hanging things. But again, mostly things for your pet collar. They have a lot of bow ties or neckties or other random shapes. 
And they're oh, that's cute, like a bow tie dog collar. Yeah, so it look looks at this like, one. Oh, that's so cute. It's like a plaid bow tie out of wood for the preppy dog. Exactly, and they will engrave the name and phone number on the back, so you're not writing it yourself or anything like. That. It looks really professional and high quality, and they're only sixteen bucks, which I don't know, maybe that's a lot for a dog tag. It's less than Sherry's nail polish. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're sitting there thinking like, "Wow, I want to try this nail polish," first thing, does my dog need a new tag? I'll put a link to a few of these in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast, including the cheeseburger. The cheeseburger is the best one. The bow tie is pretty cute, though. There's like a little plaid bow. Yeah, they also do them in acrylic as well if you don't want them in wood. Oh, that's smart. So maybe for the active... For the sporty dog. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And especially for making it through such a weird we're digging section. You guys are troopers. And since you probably have to get your phone out soon anyways to click to your next podcast or whatever, why not take a brief detour and leave us a rating or review in iTunes? Just search Young House Love in your podcast app, click our icon, and then click the reviews tab. It just takes a second. And we love to hear what you guys do while you listen. Like my three-week fix on Instagram who took a bubble bath and listened to our podcast after a long night shift as a nurse. And head over to younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Like a look at that coffee cup that ended our paint debate. And my new favorite nail polish colors. Bye. Later. Ta-ta, not ta-ta. <laughs> Allow me to explain English to you. <laughs> Let's called- take this back from PG-13 to PG. Okay, it's called ta-ta. And it's like, am I saying it's called? <laughs> ta-ta. 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 <laughs>